gentlemen, to Logically Faithful. This is Keldoon Swice. In this particular podcast, we'll be listening to a lecture I delivered in Romania on November 22, 2015, on the question, Islam, is it a religion of peace? If you do receive some kind of edification and cultivation of your mind and soul through this podcast and ministry, please do subscribe on Logically Faithful and on the iTunes website. And I do appreciate if you guys leave me a review. Let's go ahead and get started. Thank you. Well, good morning. Buona dimineata. It's my pleasure and honor to speak with you this morning for giving me a hearing. In the Middle East, we start our services in many churches in the following way. Bismil Ab, Wal Ibn, Wal Ruh Al Gudis, Ya Ilahi, Huwahad. This is translated in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And our God is one. I say this because in the Middle East, predominance of Islam is everywhere. It's in everything we buy, even in the streets, you cannot walk without hearing the call to prayer. And Muslims say Christians are polytheists. We worship three gods. We say, no, we do not worship three gods. We worship one God and three persons. Even the Quran mistakenly addresses it that way. My talk today will be about Islam. You can cut the PowerPoint. That's the wrong one, yeah. Just a video I'll be showing a little bit later, gentlemen. Thank you. In John 16.33, Jesus our Lord said the following, I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We have to remember that when we're looking at scenes of what's happening in Paris, in Belgium, in Beirut. I was in a cafe in Chicago, number of years ago. I was wearing a shirt from the Petra. Petra is one of the seven wonders of the world in Jordan, the land of my birth. Uh, You have to see the Petra before you die. It is simply amazing. It's a whole city in the rock. I was wearing the shirt there and a a gentleman was uh, next to me in the cafe. He was an army veteran, U.S. Army veteran with a big word USA on his hat. And he looked at me and said, are you Arab? I said, yes, I am uh, of Arab heritage. He said, you Islamic terrorists, take your Islamic trash and get out of this country. You're destroying our country with your foolishness and terrorism. Get out! I was shocked for a little bit. And then I looked at him and said, Sir, uh, I am a Christian. He said, doesn't matter, you're all the same. You're all the same, Arabs. The sentiment he has is a common sentiment in the street that all Arabs are Muslim. Uh, And it's a sentiment based on fear and ignorance, of course. There's some truth to it, but I'll talk about that later. The vast majority of Arabs are not Muslim. Excuse me, the vast majority of Arabs are Muslim. But the vast majority of Muslims are not Arab. They're not at all. The vast majority come from uh, uh, Asia, 
and Pakistan and other areas. Uh, and the Middle East encompasses a small portion of Muslims, but they're the ones who make the news, of course. Uh, and the fact of the matter is the vast majority of Muslims are not terrorists. But the vast majority of acts of terror, specifically in the last decade, have been perpetuated by those who claim to be Muslim. That is not something that we can ignore. And we only ignore it when we do that at the cost of national security. It is an issue of truth and that needs to be addressed. Most Muslim people are loving people who want to make a world of peace for their children. They do not embrace a lot of the things that you do here. For example, my, uh, my army friend was saying about terrorism and things of that nature. Let me ask you this before I do this. How many of you have read the Qur'an? One? Two hands? Okay. That's basically the same type of answer we ask when we ask a Muslim group of people, how many of you have read the Bible? Maybe one or two hands will go up. They're not interested, unless the Lord is moving their heart. And we're not interested in reading the Quran unless we have some kind of academic interest or seeking to reach. So it's important that we know each other and understand each other before we can critique each other. Muhammad was nicknamed Al-Amin, which means the truthful one. He married a woman 15 years his senior named Khadija. They had six children. Muhammad never had any boys that lived beyond the age of two. So he had no physical successors. In 610, something amazing happened to Muhammad. In a Mount Hadia in Mecca, he met, or met, excuse me, the angel Gabriel. Gabriel told Muhammad to read and gave him a message of monotheism to spread to the Saudi Arabian people. The same message that was given to Abraham, Adam, and the prophets, and even to Jesus. Muhammad begins to do that, but through heavy persecution, he flees 250 miles from Mecca to Medina where he establishes the Muslim uh, religion. He had about 150 followers. By the time he came back to Mecca, he had 10,000. And they overtook Mecca in peace, without spilling any blood. He walked into the place where many people worshipped the multiple gods, over 365 of them, and destroyed them all, except the icon of Jesus and Mary. He also established for himself the position that saying that God is a God who is not physical. He is transcendent. We are not to physical, we're not to put anything physical in place of God, even a man. In 632, Muhammad dies. Many claim it was poison. There's debate among Muslims on that. After that, Muslim evangelists in the Muslim religion began to spread throughout Saudi Arabia, all the way to the shores of the Atlantic Ocean, into southern France, Spain, spreading the message of peace and love. Jihad is actually the word for peaceful struggle within you against the sin within your own nature. Islam is a unified community, believing a perfect book from the Quran. And in the Quran it says, whoever kills a soul is as if he killed the whole world. And let there be no compulsion in religion. Muslims today, by the millions, are called the Hafzas, those who memorize the 6,236 verses of the Qur'an. Anybody ever met a Hafza? One who memorizes the whole Qur'an. They are all over the world. Uh, recently I took a class to a mosque where we met some children, six years old, who have memorized the whole Qur'an, which is about uh, nine-tenths of the New Testament. A large book. 
Muslims believe in Abraham, Jesus, and Islam is a religion of peace. Okay, let me stop there. Do you buy all that? Do you believe what I just said? This is the things that Obama is saying, President Obama and his foreign policy uh, advisors, as well as many people in the university settings. What I'm going to be telling you today turns this upside down. I am not going to be attacking uh, Muslims. What I'll be doing is critiquing some part of that religion. And today, it is politically incorrect to say anything about it. But I am not politically correct, and neither should you be. Thanks be to God. We are to do this with respect and humility, because when we discuss religion and when we discuss these types of things, they are integrated within the very soul of people. Rabbi Zechariah said it the best. If the truth is not undergirded by love, it makes the possessor of that truth obnoxious and the truth repulsive. We need to speak with love and respect about boldness, with boldness. Today, when you speak against the Islamic religion in the West, it's considered hate speech. They'll call you an Islamophobe. It's kind of like when you critique homosexuality, you'll say you are a homophobe. Ladies and gentlemen, more Christians have been killed this century than any other century. Why are we not using the term Christianophobe? It is a politically correct muzzle on the mouth of those who speak the truth. Don't fall for it. Speak the truth and continue to do it in love. Do not shy away from that. Now, is religion, is Islam a religion of peace? Yes and no. Islam is a political ideology, much like communism or capitalism. It is an ideology with a portion of it being religion. The word in Arabi, Islam, does not mean peace. Islam is a root word of salam, which is peace. The word is submit. When a soldier does when he is overcome by an enemy, he throws his weapons down. When you are in front of a sovereign or a king, you bow your head. When you are in front of God, you, that's what Muslims do. They take the most important part of themselves, their mind, and put it on the floor before God five times a day. Many Christians do that. But usually we put our head on the floor before God when we're really in trouble. Uh, usually when we pray. Many of us just do not do it that way. Now not all Muslims believe the same thing. Just like all Christians do not believe the same thing. They have different practices about taxes, praying, government, bathing, even jurisprudence. Muslims believe different things just like Christians do. There are also divisions in Islam. It's not a unified whole. There's the Ahmadiyyas, the Shiites, the Sufis, the Sunnis, and the subcategories between these. Just like Christians have divisions, so too Muslims. But all of them identify with Muhammad and try to follow his example. The Quran says 91 times that the Muslims are to pattern their lives after the perfect example of the man Muhammad. Matter of fact, every child that's born in a Muslim household, the first words he hears is, Ya ilahi hu Allah Muhammad Rasulullah. There is only one God, and He is God, and Muhammad is His prophet. And when a body is buried in Muslim culture, every body who's buried, they whisper into the ear of the dead those same words. It is an all-encompassing faith that encompasses every part of their lives. 
Anybody here has been to the Middle East or a Muslim prominent country? A few of you. Have you heard the call to prayer? Yes, because religion and state and culture is not separate as it is in the West. They are one. Islam is a religion that categorically and absolutely denies the divinity of Jesus Christ. It is the very core of the religion. It was propagated by Muhammad as an attack upon the Christians. The entire surah on Miriam is about an attack upon that very notion. If anybody's been to Jerusalem in the old city, there's the uh, Temple of the Mount, which we call one of the most, second most holy site in all of Islam. The gold dome that you may see in the pictures in Jerusalem, that is it. On that dome in Arabi and Arabic are written the words over and over again, Jesus is not the Son of God. Muslims have this pounded into their heads since they're children. No wonder they're the hardest people to reach. Because you're telling them something that they've been told all their lives is not true. So reaching Muslims is not easy. But it is very rewarding when it's done by the grace of God. Now in 610, Muhammad apparently did meet somebody in that cave. Muhammad would go to the cave to pray. And that person he met, he thinks was Angel Gabriel. I don't think he was Angel Gabriel. And most Christian scholars around the world don't think so either. The main reason is, this angel terrified Muhammad to the point of suicide. He wanted to die after he met him. This is recorded to us in Muslim sources, not Christian sources. Sari Bukhari. Um, the hadith, in Hishag's book in Rasulullah, Sarat Rasulullah, in a biography of Muhammad, talks about the terror Muhammad felt when he met this angel. He wanted to die. He was terrified. These are not the kinds of reactions you get when you meet an angel in the Old Testament. You feel fear. But not to the point you want to jump off a cliff. No. Whoever this angel was, he put fear into the point of Muhammad where his wife Aisha tells us later on that his muscles in his neck were twitching in fear when she met him. The angel apparently told Muhammad that God is Allah, He's one and only, He begetteth not, nor is He begotten. And that the Trinity is false, and Christians believe in the polytheism. Matter of fact, this angel told Muhammad in the Quran that the Trinity is God the Father, the um, Mary and Jesus. That's the Trinity. And Christians believe this nonsense. Well, the problem is we don't believe that nonsense. Either. <laughs> we don't believe that. That's not what the Trinity is. This is what it says in uh, Surah 5, which is chapter 5, ayat 116 of the Quran. When um, God is speaking to Jesus, who, who's mentioned, by the way, in the Quran more than Muhammad. Oh Jesus, son of Mary, or Asa, they say in Arabic. Did you say to the people, take me and my mother as deities besides Allah or God? And Jesus will say, exalted one, it is not for me to say this, it is not my right. You would have known it. You know what is within myself and I do not know what is within yourself. Indeed, you are the knower of all things. This is the kind of theology that Muslims are taught and that, interestingly enough, Muhammad told his people that Mary, the mother of Jesus, is actually the sister of Moses. This is a problem. 
Because if God, Allah, is the knower of all things, then how could he get Mary wrong? Or her lineage wrong? She's over 500 years difference between her and Moses. Uh, and not only that, he got the Trinity wrong. Uh, and this is interesting because um, this is important point to point out to our friends. The Trinity is not God having copulation with Mary, like Zeus did with uh, Hera or with uh, a human virgin and produced uh, Hercules. That's not the notion. Christians don't believe that. It was a spiritual conception. And Jesus is highly exalted in the Quran, and we need to bring that out and talk about that with our people. 600 years after, before Muhammad, this angel Gabriel appears to a woman named Mary in Bethlehem, Bethlehem. And he says the following to her, Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus, Yeshua. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And the angel said this, The Holy One born to you will be called the Son of God. Hear me clearly. That can't possibly be the same angel that appeared to Moses. I mean, Muhammad. Unless he's schizophrenic or lying. Which is a problem for us to embrace that. Logically speaking, they're not the same angel. Christians do not worship three gods. We worship one God in three persons. One what? Three who's. One center. One being with three centers of consciousness. It's a mystery, but it's not a contradiction. A contradiction would be say uh, Christians worship three gods. That's a contradiction. But we don't do that. We worship one God in three persons. And this is a multiplicity issue is proven in science, uh, where the singularity of the very foundation of the universe is a, is, a, is a unity in diversity. And that unity in diversity is in all things. We all try to find unity for the diversity in our lives, where there's a oneness to the many. And that is in the very nature of the first cause, God Himself. It is an amazing thing. And that community is what presents love. Love. You can't have love alone. But God is love. In order for Him to have it, He has to do it in community, which is what the Trinity is. Amazing. And this is something we can talk to our Muslim friends about. And tell them it's a misconception. Let me tell you the truth about it. Please note and never forget that Muslims around the world embrace a form of Islam that is more peaceful. It's not a violent form of it. However, the Muslims who do raid and take lands from the kafir, or the unbelievers, who behead and, and crucify others, are following the example of Muhammad. This is in Islamic sources where Muhammad did do this. He was actually a great warrior, a great warlord. He was a very good general. And he, he accomplished a lot in his lifetime. A good book on this is called The Great Arab Conquest by Hugh Kennedy, University of College of London. The Great Arab Conquest, I recommend that. I took a few students of mine uh, to visit a mosque in Chicago where we would interact with our Muslim colleagues and friends and they brought out the pizza and everything and the students liked that, of course. Very hospitable. And then they began to tell us about how Islam is a religion of peace. How Islam is a religion of the same religion as Abraham, Moses, and Jesus. And then came time which I required for us to visit a question and answer time. 
where we ask the hard questions. And one of the most prominent verses that was mentioned there, which we expected, and I taught my students about it before we got there. You will hear it as well. It's the one I quoted to you earlier. Surah 5.32. It says, if you slew one person, it's as if you slew the whole world. Muslims believe in peace. What we can do is ask them to quote the verse in context. So do something dangerous called reading. Pick up a Quran and read the whole chapter or even that verse. Here's what it says in context. We ordain for the children of Israel that if you slew one person, unless it be for murder or for the spreading of mischief in the land, it would be as if he slew the whole world. And if he saved one life, it would be as if he saved the whole people. The next verse says the following. The punishment for those who wage war against God and His Apostle and strive with man and maintain mischief is execution, crucifixion, cutting off of hands and feet from both sides and exile from the land and disgrace in this world and heavy punishment thereafter. That's what it says in the Quran. In addition to being peaceful, it also has these other parts. Muslim apologists and liberals try to get around these things by saying these are contextual and only to that time in the world. I wish most Muslims believed that. If you've had your head in the sand the last year or two, you have experienced the Islamic State, which is in Syria, a few hundred miles from where I was born. My mother tells me in Jordan, they're overrun with refugees trying to flee. And Europe is now getting the same issue. The people are fleeing ISIS, which is a jihadi extremist group, which has contained itself as a self-proclaimed Islamic government and land called the Khalifit in Syria and in uh, northern Iraq. It has control over territories occupied by over 10 million people. They follow the example of Muhammad himself and give Christians two options. Pay the tax, die, or get out. 830,000 people have fled. Right now the numbers are over 6 million. Excuse me, 2 million. Six, 2 million. Running into Europe, trying to get away from these, these people. Even Muslims. The vast majority of victims of these state are Muslims, not Christians. But Christians are also one of the, the problems, casualties here. Yes, the Islamic State does not represent the majority of Muslims. And yes, Islam is the fastest growing religion today. That is a fact. Here's a problem. And you have to think about this. Why is Islam the fastest growing religion today? Is it because of conversions? No. It's because on average, Muslims have 5 to 1 to children, the ratio to Christians. The average Muslim family has 8 to 9 children. The average Christian family, 2. Now you wonder why they're the largest growing religion. Because they're populating like rabbits. And Christians are not. It's not because of conversion, it's because of children and because of reproduction. That's just a fact that's necessary to understand and grow. And uh, don't believe the fact that the majority of Muslims are uh, growing, therefore Muslims will overcome Europe, which is generally the case, 15% of France is Muslim and they are growing at a doubling rate of our population. They'll overcome that country in a number of years. But will all of them be radical? Not necessarily. As Muslims come to the West, they start doing something that the West does sending their children, specifically their girls, to school. And when their girls go to school, they don't get married at a young age as they did back at home in Africa and Middle East. They wait till about 20 or 30 to get married. And by that time, the number of children, biologically, 
the biological necessity dictates that it's less. So I think in the future, it's not going to be as bad as they say it is. But nevertheless, um, it's an important fact to remember. Remember, Jesus said the following when you see these kinds of things happening all over the world in terrorism. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. There are 1.6 billion Muslims in the world. Most of them spiritualize the Quran. Then how do we explain these divergent issues in Islam, the peace and the violence? That's because, ladies and gentlemen, the Quran, the holy book of Islam, has two faces. It can be divided into the Meccan verses and the Medinan verses. You see, when Muhammad began his career as a prophet, he was in Mecca. He was a minority, and he began to preach about peace, love, and happiness. You know, light the candle, hug your friend, hug your enemy, etc. But then he began to grow. When he got kicked out, he went to Medina. And there he grew and grew as a political figure. And when he became a political figure, the number of Muslims jumped from 150 to 10,000. Muslims embrace Islam as a political ideology as much as it is a religious one. And the types of verses Muhammad made or presented when he was in Mecca were peaceful ones. The other ones were type that were warlike verses. And that's why you have the different types of verses in the Quran. The peaceful Muslims present the peaceful ones. The ones who want violence present the violent ones. They're both there. And they both have to be addressed. It's not up to me to make sense of these. That's up to the Muslims to do that. <coughs> All I could do is present it. Many Muslim activists tell gullible Muslims in the West that the Quran is a religion of peace, and that's all it is. But you need to understand that the Quran also has things that incite decapitation, meaning terrorism, religious intolerance, the beating of women, etc. Uh, these are actually there in the Quran. Is the Quran perfect, as the Muslims explained? Well, not necessarily. Muhammad, the Sunnis tell us, Sunni branch, which is about 70% of the Muslim population, was illiterate. But the Shiites say, no, he wasn't. He was very illiterate. But that's a whole side issue. The Quran that he presented to the people uh, was taken together and put on scraps of paper and wood. And they put this together about 20 years after his death. It was held by one of his wives, Hafsa. And she gave it uh, to uh, Khalif Uthman, which was one of the predecessors of Muhammad. And he took this together and compiled that to see, we need to put together a book of the sayings and the teachings of our Prophet before, after he died. And he gathered all the Muslims all around the, the Arabian Peninsula and other regions to put together their versions as well. And he found there were discrepancies. So what did this honest scholar do? He got a team together to try to figure out the truth. And he did, he tried. But then he burnt, hear me clearly, he burnt all the variant readings. So why Muslims tell you we only worship one or have one Quran? Now you know why. Because he burnt all the others. This is not the case with Christian manuscript evidence and textual history. We keep all of ours as much as we could. And whatever is altered, we definitely know what. And that's an important point to mention to our, our friends. So the first uh, people who burnt the Quran were not some uh, uh, a pastor... Uh, who decided to just stage an event where he burned it. The first burning of the Qur'an was done by Muslims themselves. I recommend a good book uh, by Oxford University Press by Michael Cook called The Qur'an, a very short introduction. 
The Quran, a very short introduction. I strongly recommend you look at that. And that tells you a lot of what I'm saying here. And, and, and to my Muslim friends, if you're listening to me, Muhammad did a lot of good things. Like saved a uh, woman from being killed at a, a young age. He brought peace to the region. But he also did some horrible things as well that you need to recognize and see and read the history yourself. Don't just believe what people tell you. For he denied the very foundation of the message God sent to the world, Jesus. And he said, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Jesus himself said this. Jesus was not a biological conception of God the Father and Mary. The Son of God is a title, given to Him a title of divinity that puts Him aside and sets Him apart from each and every person in the history of the world as the very incarnation of God on earth. If anybody fits that title, it would have to be Jesus. God is speaking to Muslims across the world. Uh, I recommend, um, I'm recommending good books for you to pick up on this because you can't possibly consume everything I'm saying. I was a fire hydrant of information. It's called The Wind in the House of Islam uh, by University of Chicago scholar David Garrison, which talks about the different ways God is reaching Muslims through dreams and visions. It's an amazing under, uh, underpinning that God is working in the Islamic world. A Wind in the House of Islam is the name of the book. Ladies and gentlemen, there are 93 verses in the Quran that talk about Jesus, and only four directly mention Muhammad. Even the Quran exalts him. And at the end of time, even the Quran says, the one who will come to judge everyone is Jesus, not Muhammad. Even the Quran says he was born of a virgin. The Quran exalts him. And let's use that to our advantage to mention that to our Muslim friends. And my Muslim friends, if you're listening to me, look at that, look at Jesus. See what he did from his own book, the books that were about him. I close with these points and a story, and then I'll open up for some discussion or some questions that you may have. Are you ready? hope you are. Christianity has a history of violence that would make many of us blush if I went through them with you. The Christian church has a lot to answer for on Judgment Day. Don't compare Christianity with Islam. That will just get you into water. Boiling water. Instead, look at the examples of Jesus. And then the examples of Muhammad. And look at those and point those out. That's my recommendation. God allowed Jerusalem and His own people to be judged by pagans and by non-people, people who don't follow Christ or God. Is Syria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, all these were sent by God to judge His own people. Why can't it be the case that God also sent ISIS and Al-Qaeda to judge many Christians as well, especially in the West, to wake us up to our own inadequacies in our secularism. Even yes, uh, the news I was watching in France the other day saying, uh, religion is a problem, we don't need religion. Uh, that's what they were saying in some of the newscasts all over there. And they were declaring, well, Al-Qaeda and what ISIS were doing and killing all these people was wrong, wrong, wrong. And you... As a Christian, I'm thinking, hold on a minute. You embrace a secular mindset that denies good and evil completely. And then you have the audacity to come back out of the other side of your mouth and say, this is wrong. Ladies and gentlemen, it cannot be wrong unless there's a transcendent moral law that makes it wrong. And you cannot have a moral law that makes something wrong unless you have a God who makes the moral law. The very foundation of secularism in the West is, denies itself. 
It can't condemn ISIS and Al-Qaeda as wrong. Because it doesn't believe in right and wrong. But when their own people are dying and their bloods are running in the street, suddenly they're singing a different tune. And this is ripe for the gospel. Can we defeat ISIS and Al-Qaeda with bombs, MX missiles, the, uh, the Marines and the special forces in France? Those are necessary. We need them, yes. But can we defeat them that way? No. Because ISIS, Al-Qaeda, and the radical Islam are an ideology. They're a mindset. You defeat an ideology with a better ideology. You defeat radical Islam with radical Christianity. The gospel changes lives. The gospel works. Bombs only stop people temporarily. The gospel needs to be addressed. And that's how you deal with that. And I closed uh, with this uh, story. This is in Iran. Michael Ramsden tells it this way. There was a minister, a pastor, and him and his wife were driving through northern Iran, and they stopped at a gas station to pick up some water. As he stopped, he noticed a man standing by the gas station holding a machine gun and a large beard. Well, he wasn't holding the beard, he was holding a machine gun, he had the beard. Hopefully that was clear. The wife sees the gun and the face and takes out a little Bible and gives it to her husband and says, Here, give this to that man with the, with the gun. Her husband says, No. She says, no, 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 seriously, uh, give this to the man with the gun. He says, no. She says, give it to him. She puts it in his pocket. And he says, okay, I'll pray about it. So he gets out, goes to the shop, comes back with the water. He gives her the water and she looks at him and says, you didn't give him the Bible, did you? He says, "Uh, I prayed about it. It wasn't the right thing to do. She said, uh, he needs one. He said, no, it's not the right time. So he drives off. The wife bows her head and prays out loud that God would speak to her husband how he's wrong. That he would listen to God. At that point, they had a friendly conversation that married couples have that ends with the words, Fine, if you want me to die, I will. So he turns the car around, drives back to the gas station, walks out of the car, walks directly to the man and gives him a Bible. The man opens it and begins to cry. He says, I don't live here. I live three days walk. But three days ago, an angel appeared to me and told me, if I come to this village and wait here, the book of life will be given to me. Thank you for giving me that book. Ladies and gentlemen, the book you hold, the Bible, is that book of life. It's your GPS. Don't forget to use it. And if you can't understand it, talk to people who do. And that's an example from their lives. Jesus said, I told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. Thank you. That was the lecture. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was intellectually stimulating and spiritually edifying. If you found it helpful, once again, please do subscribe on the iTunes channel. And you can follow me on social media, on Logically Faithful, on all those uh, avenues. Instagram, Facebook, things of that nature. Anyway, God bless you. I wish you the best.